Have you heard of the term cottagecore? Cottagecore is a bit of a movement that has seen an uptick during the pandemic. It has a sentimental connection to agriculture and homesteading. You know, baking bread, crafts, simple stuff that brings you closer to nature and the world around you. The Urban Dictionary, though, portrays cottagecore as more of a stylish trend. According to the dictionary, which I know is not exactly Webster's, cottagecore is an aesthetic and fashion style inspired by romanticized rural and farm interpretations. Think countryside scenery, nostalgic peasant dresses, rustic handmade crafts, and artisanal creations in fashion and homeware. In fashion magazine Vu, Catherine Saxon wrote about it. She explained that the meaning of cottagecore is a portmanteau, just like city it, extracted from two words composing the term, cottage and core. The prefix cottage describes a country house or a small village house. You know that. The word core, you may not know this, relates to the 80s hardcore punk music scene and is used to delineate a new category or genre, cottage core. Apparently, the cottagecore movement was started by early 2017 mentions of the term on Instagram and Tumblr. Yeah, it's a social media movement. Is that a movement? But it's no wonder this cottagecore has taken off. I mean, knitting, cooking, crafting, gardening, apple picking, podcasting maybe. There's satisfaction in these types of activities. And of course, there's also comfort. The comfort of a connection to people before you. Often a parent, a grandparent, or even a great-grandparent connection, comfort core, you could say. And very often, this connection is through an activity passed down, knitting or needlepoint. Maybe it's a game like mahjong or canasta. Often, of course, it's through food, right? A soup, a pie, a cake, or in my family, jello mold. I grew up with our mom making jello molds, all sorts of flavor jello molds, black raspberry, mandarin orange, cranberry, when Brian and I got serious, she even made a pride-colored jello mold for her New Jersey P-Flag meeting. She learned jello from her mom, and it's a family tradition. Just before the pandemic, my sister hosted a big gathering of my mother's family, cousins from all around the country. Everyone sent in family recipes, and I designed and created and printed out a family cookbook. At the party, people made many of the recipes. Clara's potato salad, Lil's noodle pudding, Billy's sour cream cake, Peppy soups, Lois's kugel. And then there were jello molds. So many, we did a parade of jello molds. Cottagecore. You just feel good, right? My guest Allison Chalwa in episode 62 also mentioned the term to me, actually, sending me a link to an article about how participating in cottagecore can help your mental health. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Meanwhile, turn up your volume and pull out your family recipes. Let's get comfortable.
I'm Matt Zucker, and this is Sidiot, learning to live and love life in the Hudson Valley. I'm really sentimental, about my own family, of course, but also about other people's. I like to know people's histories and journeys and crazy stories of distant relatives. I'm not saying you should invite me to your Thanksgiving, Christmas, or kids' bar mitzvah, but Brian and I tend to show up at first birthday parties and shivas. So back in November, I opened up my email to this. Dear Matt, first off, I have to say how much I love your podcast. It brings me right back to my happy place, the valley, every time I listen in. My family has deep roots in Rhinebeck. My late grandmother, Joy, grew up on a farm in Rhinebeck on Middle Road, next to the pitcher's property. She was born at the start of the Great Depression, and her life saw many adventures and remarkable tales. Growing up, growing up, she would tell my sister and I these stories. Little did we know she had written most of them down. In her last weeks with us, 2016, she asked me to complete her book and preserve our heritage. I have finished her book, and it's part of our brand, Comfort and Joy, Family Heritage for Today. I would love to share her story with you. I know you would understand and find joy in her story. It shows another side of life in the Hudson Valley, a true first-person account of a simpler way of life. If you would like to join Joy on her adventures on the farm, please kindly enclose your mailing address so I can send you a copy. Fondly, Jeremy J. Franzen. I couldn't reply fast enough, and Jeremy sent me the book of his grandmother's stories, and I read them, and we got into this whole correspondence, and I asked him, of course, to come on the show. I wanted to hear more, not just about his grandma, but what about he and his family were doing. It's not just the book. They have a magazine and sell all this cute stuff that is kind of cottage ish Excited for you to meet him, his mother Sandra, and in an unexpected cameo intervention, because we couldn't get our women's history right, his twin sister Joelle. So let's talk to the Francins and about Grammy Joy. It's an interview in two parts. Who knew sentimental could also be a business? Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Thanks for coming on City It. Of course. Thank you for having us. So I would love to hear about your history with the Hudson Valley because you have a really special relationship to Rhinebeck, which is a big area I I know really well. And I did read the book. (laughs) Well, mine is lifelong. My mom grew up on a farm about two miles from the town of Rhinebeck on Middle Road. At that time, it was a working dairy farm when she was young. So my, it, my it, friends live on middle on Middle Road right now. No, really? Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. The barn was still standing last time we went in 2019. No, it was no. it was still standing. Yeah. 19 it was now. They took the house down, but the barn had been there for years afterwards, which is weird now when I drive by, it's like we didn't exist <laughs> because it's all gone. You know, it's just a very strange feeling. Like that's kind of why. I'm thrilled he's doing this because it shows that we actually, my my grandma did exist, you know, in her family. My mom was born in Pennsylvania and her father died eight days later. So she never had a father. She never knew her father. And then my grandma and her went up to the farm to live. So she lived there her whole life. She was extremely into horses. <laughs> like Really, but she was a rodeo barrel racer. But Rhinebeck itself, when, when we went every holiday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, two weeks out of every summer, if not more, because that's where we wanted to be, <laughs> is Rhinebeck. And we would call it regular town. Because, regular town. Yes, Rhinebeck was regular town because sometimes they had that idea we had to go to Red Hook. And we didn't understand why, <laughs> because we didn't enjoy Red Hook. It didn't have the same charm. 
which rhymed back to us was being at grandma's. You know, we would go to Al Stickles was our big place to go. Yep, I know it. And everything is exactly where it was. When I went with them, I actually walked down the aisle and said, okay, now wait up here to your left. You're going to find caps. You're going to find, I mean, we do, and it's still in the same place. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing that they've kept that history for them alive. So we would go there and get toys or usually things to embroider because it was summer and hot and we used to sit in the porch and embroider things that we never did at home. I mean, this is just like... <laughs> Being at grandma's was like being back a little house in the prairie. She didn't have a regular washing machine until my mom got her one in the 80s. She was using a ringer washer my whole life and, and a scrub board. I mean, and she still ironed her sheets. I mean, it was great. You know, it was just like so strange. We didn't even have a bathroom like for upstairs. We used chamber pots. <laughs> I love this. Just thinking about Rhinebeck now and how many how many homes probably have chamber pots and they're I know and they're washing by hand. They probably all are, right? It, it's crazy though, because <laughs> our life here was so different than there, but it was the same time period. It's not like it was a hundred years ago. You know, my mom was born in 1930. So <laughs> but they grew up, they had a two-seater outhouse. That's what they had. So when you think about Rhinebeck, what comes to mind? Is it about your childhood and the holidays or oh, what, what's it's, the it's image? Home. It's home. I, I, that is the one place as soon as we turn the corner and we're in town, I'm home. Oh. Um, I'm with my grandma, who I miss dearly. So it's just going to Rhinecliff Station because that's how she would come see us was with the train. Um, and just walking the streets with grandma going to the same shops every time it's just that feeling of comfort that everything is where it was when it was for my whole growing up it really didn't change that much the grocery store wasn't there I mean there's things that weren't there there was no CVS you know the things <laughs> just have changed lately but not to the fact that it takes the charm away which is what I liked about it you know lately when we've gone there's still no you know McDonald's you know? <laughs> I know it's lucky. Yeah. yeah, it is really. I mean, they remember mom telling me that you can't buy a house without at least two acres of land. So that helps that situation that they're not going to put big developments to take away the charm. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we grew up going to all the, the mansions, going to Vanderbilt's, going to, you know, FDRs and all those types of things all the time because they were her her riding grounds. My mom used to ride horses on them all the time. So she has stories from every single estate. They were giving privileges to ride on because it was so, she lived in such a dichotomy. I mean, they were poor, poor. And she lived amongst all these amazingly rich people, all these estates, pastors and all these people. And she knew she ran into them all the time. I mean, she, <laughs> it was so strange when she would tell us these stories. I'm like, what do you mean you were talking to Vincent Astor? How does that happen? <laughs> you know, so, but she never thought she was poor. She never knew she was poor because she was so happy on that farm with her family and her horses. That's all she cared about. And Jeremy, so you, you put this into a book and you, you, you sent me a copy actually. So I, I, I've yeah. read it, but tell me about the creation of this because it's like capturing all those stories on paper. So tell me what motivated you. Flashback to 2011. My Grammy Joy, Joyce, she took us to Ryan Beck and showed us everything through her eyes. We grew up listening to these stories and being exposed to this rich heritage and culture. And she wanted to exemplify that in person. 
she realized how important it was to show my sister and I these places. So she, despite not wanting to, she took us there. And I thank her so much for that trip. I know it was very hard for her. And then she got quite ill in 2016. She did pass, but she, she asked me and she made me promise her to share the heritage and share the stories. I didn't really know that she wrote down as much as she did. I knew she wrote down a little bit here and there. And she told us all the stories, but she told me upstairs in the office in the third drawer in the back, you're going to find my manuscript. And I'm like, oh, you're what now? What did you do? How much had she written? So the book that I sent you is everything she wrote with the exception of four stories that I kept out for no reason. I just didn't think they were needed at the time to be in the book. So it was roughly 200 printed pages that we have. And what we put in that book is, as you know, pretty much exactly how she wrote it. We helped out with grammar a little bit, but I wanted to keep it authentic. It's not going to be the bestseller by any means, but it's a true real life account of this girl on this farm. Well, she wasn't Um, writing for it to be read by other people. She thought it was just going to be for us to pass out to the family members, you know, so they would have her legacy written down. And she would be very embarrassed by it, actually. <laughs> I like the details, the the talking about the getting the firewood and the and the the meals. A lot of talk about food and when we were going to yes. eat and those kind of everyday life things. I think are really special and capture that period of time, which is the forties. When is this? Right, well, she's born in the thirties, so yeah. yeah, it would be yeah the forties and up when she was growing up there. Yeah, which stories stick with you the most? For me, um, the holidays, because my grandmother was such a Thanksgiving and Christmas lady, and I'm that type of person now, reading those chapters about the kids eating Thanksgiving meal on flour sack tables in the pantry away from the adults, eating whatever they wanted off the plate so they weren't being monitored. Like, I can see all this happening. (laughs) It's just, to me, those are, because we're such holiday people, and that's why I wanted it to come out during the holiday season. So we still use all the same serving ware, the yeah. same bowls, the same everything that they use when yeah. I was little <clears throat> at my grandma's. So, in two, so she passed in 2016. That's when I made the promise to do something with her writings. But with that, the print periodical, our magazine that comes out throughout the year. And that's where we offer a platform for people to share their heritage, their stories, their recipes, and their loved ones. And you know, obviously it starts off with joy and our grandmother, but it really is a spot for people to share their grandmas, their aunts, their uncles, and their stories as well, because it's so important for us to preserve heritage. I love that. I bet people listening will want to maybe send in some recipes or memories too. For, for, my, for my mother's family, we did a whole get together and everybody had to send in recipes. And then we actually made the foods for the reunion. And it was mostly, mostly jello. Well, no wonder you like that that story then. Yeah, I love that Jell-O story. But it was a really amazing experience. And I think people will really hopefully send in some interesting recipes of things. Every family's got their own quirks of what what they liked or some weird ingredient they put in something that made it special. Or just the fact that they made it for something occasion-wise, all the family recipe that's always used for Christmas or always used for birthdays, that type of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And in addition to the magazine, I also saw you're selling other stuff, though, too. 
We have a small collection of support merchandise. We have some jams, jellies, kitchenwares, and things like that. So the magazine has like themes throughout the year. So we have like a holiday issue. This coming spring issue, we have a lot of 1970s inspiration that we're pulling from. So we have some vintage Pyrex and Tupperware items on the website. So the merchandise will change as the magazine changes, which is kind of fun. But we just want to people to bring some joy and comfort into their home through the things that we source. You know, the main focus being the print materials is kind of a secondary thought with the merchandise to kind of bring it all together. How do you think about the old, the old and the new? I think as a newcomer, you know, we're always trying to blend or find that balance of it. We're comforted by things that are old, but also things that are new. I just think that they, they kind of need each other. You know, I mean, it's hand in hand. You, Without the old, without those recipes, without those stories, who are you? I'm sure it's different for other people, you know, each person. But to me, if I didn't have those memories of my grandmother and that farm and my mom's stories of her life, I don't know who I would be at my center. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's very important to bring as much of the old that you can into your life t- today. You know, a lot of that goes into whenever I'm, I'm in my kitchen. We still have a lot of her grandmother's and then my grandmother's kitchen wares, and I use them every day. So whenever I'm making something and I get down that big old mixing bowl from the farmhouse, I'm back with her in her kitchen. And as cheesy as it is, you know, it's seasoned with love. Like I'm cooking with her with me. I use her rolling pin still whenever I bake. That's from the farmhouse. The wooden spoons. I have all that. For me, time in my kitchen is time with grandma. And it's it's the best. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, I could do that. I want to do that. Well. If you have a big idea for a great show, come join me for my first ever podcasting 101 workshop as part of the second annual Hillsdale Workshop Experience. That's right. On Saturday, May 7th at 1 p.m., I'm hosting a two and a half hour workshop about turning your big idea into reality. It's part of a big weekend of workshops across Hillsdale, New York, an adorable town in Columbia County, about 15 minutes west of Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and about 15 minutes east of Hudson, New York. And if you're coming from Rhinebeck, it's about 40 minutes. Find out information in the show notes or from cityat.com. There's a fee and limited spots, but we'll make it worthwhile with lots of ideas and resources. And please check out the other workshops. It's going to be great. And where are you now? You're still in New York State, right? You're upstate? Yeah. Further so upstate. We are in the Finger Lakes region. So we live in a small cornfield of a town called Clifton Springs, New York. It's right between Geneva and Canandaigua, New York, right on Seneca Lake. And we all live on a big farm. We have several houses on the farm. My twin sister, her wife, and I are in one house. I have my step-grandmother across the way. My step-brother's down the street. And then my mom and my stepfather are two miles on the road. Oh, my God. Um, so we live on a large vineyard. It's a grapevine nursery. And we're right in the heart of wine country. What's it like living on a farm? <laughs> well, water is a big issue. Well water. That's the bane of my existence at the moment. It's the sulfur and the... It's just, if we lose power, we lose water. 
<laughs> so if right. you know, adjusting to such things has not been easy for me. <laughs> um, and hanging laundry instead of using a dryer. Yeah. I mean, because this was this is a an old farm. It was his parents' farm back in the fifties when they moved here from Germany. So it really hasn't been upgraded a lot. So a lot of it is like, well, like my grandma's, you know, it's like I'm back there. But that was just vacation. This is real. I have to live with it every day. And I will say we do have working toilets. Yes, we do have working so, toilets. That's good. So that's an advancement. Except for when the water's not running. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for me, the idea now that I love is not having neighbors besides your family. Like you can be as loud as you want. You can see the stars. You can hear birds. Like these are all things that I've grown to really love in my adulthood. One thing that I noticed moving to an area like this is how time kind of goes by slower. Everything's about a half hour away. You have to plan out your trips. When are you going to go to town? How much can you get done in that one outing? And it can kind of be seen as a hassle to some. But the idea, you know, I drive to work. It takes roughly a half hour to get to work every day. I'm a commute. I pass five, six farms. I see cows and goats. And then there's corn. And then there's vineyards. And it's a beautiful commute. And it's a time for me to kind of get centered for my day. Because yep. I have that time to drive through this beautiful area, just to be with my own thoughts and nature. And it's a blessing. I mean, it wouldn't have happened if we didn't move here. So I love my commute to work. The snow is not my favorite, but you know, (laughs) we get through that. But yeah, I mean, when we moved here, I'm a photographer. And so going from a small eye, because you live in a village and there's buildings everywhere to a vast Oh, I mean, it was like we were in a different world, how vast the views are. I want to put like, I break for clouds on my car because the skyscapes are so breathtaking that I yeah. just like, I pull the car over all the time and I just have to take pictures and take it in. Had you heard of the term city yet before my podcast? Is I that a thing? No, I had not. In fact, when Jeremy told me about you, I went, how do you say that? What is that word? <laughs> he said city. And I go, well, that's kind of rude. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, a lot of people think it's terrible. But then well, I read you know, your write up on it and it was hysterical. I laughed. Yeah, it's about, you know, taking this insult back. You know, the podcast is very much about welcoming newcomers and encouraging them to 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 move to places where you you and I live for all the reasons you've explained. Do you have any advice for people who are taking the leap or thinking about it? I almost wish I had known more what I was moving into. I really didn't know the area. I've never been here before. If I had researched more before I came here, I might have already had in plan ways to not isolate myself so much because we do live on a farm and we do live no neighbors. You know, I'm very isolated. And if I had known ahead of time that there was people who liked what I liked or, you know, the, the, all the winery scene sure. that is so huge. And Geneva has had a huge turnaround into its nightlife and entertaining and restaurants like the top restaurant in the mm-hmm. countries there and stuff like that it would have been great so i talk a lot about the hudson valley and the berkshires and the catskills but maybe talk about the finger lakes why don't you compare the two like how how different is it up there i admit i went to school in ithaca so i do know cayuga but i don't know seneca to save my life <laughs> i think the biggest difference i can think of off the top of my head would be the Hudson Valley to me seems to be really steeped in a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Out here we have a lot of history as well, but it seems a little 
fresher <laughs> in, in some weird way, even though it's still history. Right. You know, we had the whole women's rights oh, yeah. in Seneca Falls, yeah. but that seems to have a new spin on it of recent with elections and all that stuff. Right, right. The Seneca Falls Convention, it's where the assembly was that launched the women's suffrage movement. So my twin sister, who's in the next room over, she's a history major. She just texted, I can tap oh. in, I know the answer. <laughs> Does she want to run in? Does she want to yeah. run in into? Yeah. Joelle, come in. Hi, Joelle. Hi. Hi. So Seneca Falls is kind of the birthplace of the women's suffrage movement. So you have your major hitters there, uh, Katie Stanton, Susan B. Anthony. They're all coming together in the year of revolution, so 1848. And they are trying to say, hey, you know, people of color won the right to vote. Now it's our turn. And so they're using Auburn, New York is that really that had the headquarters for that, they did the Declaration of uh, Sentiments, which was rooted in like the language of the Declaration of Independence, where they basically said, hey, give us the right to vote or we're going to cause some trouble. So we have a local history museum there. It's the Women's Suffrage Museum in Seneca Falls. A lot of it happened out in the Auburn area there. And then we also have the connections up in Rochester with Frederick Douglass as well. Mm-hmm. So they worked together with that kind of that union of, hey, we ha- helped you guys fight for your rights with the Civil War amendments, now we're gonna come to the other end and we're gonna work on ours. So that's our local history there. It's not quite as cool as the Astors, but it's very important history to have. It's very cool. All right, thank you. I'm glad your family has a history major. Yeah. (laughs) And what about the name Comfort and Joy? How come you chose that? So my grandmother's name is Joyce and we always call her Joy. So the idea of comfort and joy seemed like a pretty obvious solution to that problem. And then with its tagline of family heritage for today, it really ties it all together. Actually, this past year, I legally changed my name to Jeremy Joyce Franson to tie it all together. I'm in business with my late grandmother, and I wanted to have a, a true connection for not just marketing reasons, but for my own personal connection as well. So I took her name and tied it all up in a little bow of comfort and joy. That's beautiful. Yeah. So with our main part of this business being our print periodical comfort and joy, we are asking our readers and our social media followers to share their stories of loved ones as well as recipes and photos. And we will publish them for free in our periodical throughout the years. You can do that via email at heritage at comfortandjoys.com, and joys is plural. Or you can DM us on Instagram or Facebook. My phone number is everywhere on the website. Just get a hold of us, and we will be happy to share your family. We have quite a few submissions for our spring episode, uh, magazine. We're very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we have a very interesting Hudson Valley violet flower farm connection coming your way in this next issue it was a wonderful connection we made and i can't wait for you guys to read it oh that's good thanks for listening to city it the new issue of comfort and joy magazine is out now go online and send in memories for the next one grammy joy's book is also for sale at oblong books any recipes stories or photos can be sent to heritage at comfortandjoys.com 
There's also a form on the website, comfortandjoys.com. Links on the episode page and in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to the Cityat mailing list at cityat.com and learn more about the workshop experience in May. Links to the song. Plus, I just put up a new guide on where to stay in the Hudson Valley, Catskills, and Berkshires. It's now out on the blog. Just making it a little easier for you to come visit. It's a new way of living and I'm trying to get used to it One park poodles have an ounce of an idiot Ordered a Manhattan and they call me a city yeah. And it first it hurt my feelings but it's kinda got a ring to it When you move to the country they can tell when you're new to it I'm looking at a place but I'm trying to keep fitting it It takes long to be a local so for now I'm a city yeah. I'm a city yeah. Thank you.